The Sydney Opera House acknowledges the Gadigal people, traditional custodians of Tubagale, the land on which the Opera House stands. We honour the long Gadigal history of gathering and storytelling and acknowledge the strength and resilience of First Nations people and communities past and present. Hey, I'm Courtney Avenhauser and this is Up Next, your ticket to the most exciting artists and performers coming through the Sydney Opera House doors. I always really struggle to tell people what I do for work because if I say I'm a poet, people look at you like you've just said, like, I'm a wizard. (laughs) It's like such a weird thing to say. But if I say I'm an artist and people say, like, painting, and then I go, no, like, mostly with poems, they're like, that's even worse. (laughs) Carve yourself into land and hear the echo deep of where your heart is buried. I think this line perfectly encapsulates the poetry of award-winning Wiradjuri artist Jazz Money. Their works delicately trace bodies, places, time and the complex history of the continent. The poems are often interwoven with music and visuals so they take on a really multi-dimensional feel. Jazz first graced the Opera House stages in 2021. They performed their poetry for the audience at Badu Gili, an event which explored First Nations stories accompanied by projections on the Opera House's eastern sails. Jazz was invited back in 2022 to create a digital work for the house's shortwave digital commission series. To anyone who's read or seen Jazz's work, it's clear they're defining a new path for many poets to come. Jazz and I had a chat in the backstages of the Opera House. We spoke about their experience growing up as the weird kid in a small town, how to make poetry more accessible, and their views on everyday poetics. Jazz Money, welcome back to the Opera House. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to have you here. So much of your work is about place, and I wanted to ask you about the place you grew up in and how you think it's informed you as a person. I do think deeply about place and and I think my relationship to place is it's I don't know maybe a bit fragmented perhaps because like my ancestral homelands is Wiradjuri country on the Murrumbidgee River and my dad grew up around there but I've never lived on Wiradjuri country. I grew up my little years in Bundanoon in like state forest and we lived on a like kind of far out dirt road and my mum couldn't drive. <laughs> Amazing. (laughs) Closest neighbours were this Thai Buddhist monastery and that was kind of it. Like a lot of the time it was just me and my mum out in this like thousands of hectares bush. So it was kind of remote and it was really, really lovely. It was really beautiful. And then when I was, I don't know, 10-ish, we moved to the Mornington Peninsula to a town called Red Hill. It's very, very beautiful and bucolic and very weird (laughs) in like ways that I still... (laughs) struggle to kind of comprehend. (laughs) Very much a European outpost. It's got rolling landscaped hills and a lot, when I was a kid, a lot of like hobby farmers. I found it had a bit of a sterility and I was kind of a weird kid and felt like just a bit out of place there. But I guess it kind of was fun because I, I shed any sense of like trying to fit in and really lent into being a weirdo because I was already a weirdo, you know, like it wasn't like I was going to impress any kids because I'd lost them (laughs) 
was them from the moment I arrived. So yep. it was just like, okay, wear the weird clothes, listen to the weird music. Lean we, in. Yeah, use the big <laughs> words, whatever it is. Just kind of be an outsider. So when I could, when I was like 17, I was very, very desperate to move to the city. And now I've been in cities for a while and I'm pretty desperate to go back to being a weirdo in the bush. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We were renters like my entire life. I continue to be a renter. And so we moved every year or two. And that meant that home was this very, uh, it wasn't a place so much as it was a feeling or it was a, a collection of memories held together that you could kind of transport with you. And so I think my relationship to kind of thinking deeply about place probably started at that young age of like, you know, you arrive somewhere new and you're like, I wonder what happened here. I wonder what the stories of this house are and the stories of this place are. And then I guess having that informed by like a First Nations understanding of place and time and thinking about deep time. You know, I I have the words for it now. When I was little, I didn't. But understanding that so much has happened on any place It informs my work because it's just such a rich place to begin any sort of inquiry into what this continent is and the people who live here. I feel that urge to want to run away to the bush as well. (laughs) I feel like maybe there's a turning point in your life where you're like, it's time to go back. Do you think that's a thing? For me, I always felt like it was going to be finite because I feel so much better in the countryside. Even if you're like at a distance from some things, I don't know, I just, I feel grounded in a way that I really struggle to access in a city, even a city as beautiful as Sydney, where you can really locate yourself because country is so like, so present here, even with sort of all the crazy overlay of what this city is. It's very inescapable country in the way that it sort of like rises up and everything is so fecund and alive. And if you want to get somewhere, you have to dodge like a, or navigate in some way, a harbour or a river or a (laughs) block of sandstone or a great big tree and I love that about this city that it it really does feel like the the colonial relationship to place could really just kind of crumble (laughs) (laughs) but even still I want to get a bit further away from it (laughs) yeah I guess as well place is usually seen as quite a tangible thing and poetry people kind of see that as a bit more intangible how do you bring the two together in the work that you do I think poetry is great because it can hold so much complexity and it can make things that feel intangible, touchable, and it can make things that are very solid feel somehow ephemeral. But in in the poetry that I write and kind of increasingly make, I feel like I make poetry now in different ways because I operate in a, a three-dimensional space and make art with poetry as well. And it's such a lovely invitation when thinking about place, right? Because you can kind of start with place, which is very solid, and you can kind of, with your imagination, sort of interrogate so many different parts and bring that into poetry. And that, to me, is like such a delightful opportunity to get to think more closely about places that I have a relationship to and also to invite other folk into that relationship and to have their own more nuanced relationships perhaps with a place. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about the beginning of your career because you started out in film, right? Can you talk to me about that transition from film into poetry or what kind of was the catalyst that got you writing 
Yeah, I don't think about it so much as a transition as much as like (laughs) these kind of many, many threads of many, many different parts of life just sort of tracking along parallel and sometimes they sort of like interweave and sometimes they get back on to their own sort of part of the tapestry. (laughs) So I, when I moved to Melbourne, to Nam, when I was like a teenager, I went to film school because I knew I was really compelled to like work in story in some way. But I got there and realised I was like a kid from the bush and I really didn't know what to say and I really couldn't afford to go to film school (laughs) (laughs) and make the sort of films I wanted to make. Mm -hmm. So I sort of kicked around and worked adjacent to the industry for a while and also studied a Bachelor of Arts. After a period, I guess, I was living overseas for the first time in my early 20s and having a bit of a like crisis of identity <laughs> as as you do <laughs> and just tried to figure out like what was going on i felt really homesick in this way that i had like really not anticipated and felt very like at odds with the way i was living my life <laughs> and the sort of relationships i was in and i started writing and i thought it would be like writing a journal but it was kind of weird poetry and I eventually came back to Australia and sort of realised that there's this really, really abundant, beautiful poetry community here. And it has like this overwhelmingly strong queer First Nations sort of component to it of amazing legacy of femme writers and matriarchs who have been writing in this space. So I came back to Australia and I was I was still writing poetry very much for me and, and working in film. And I was really lucky to work as a videographer at a contemporary art museum in Sydney. In the arts, adjacent to film and writing poetry, and at some point they all just sort of merged. (laughs) Different pieces of the tapestry that you talked about, yeah, coming together. Yeah, so they they still bubble up in different ways. Like I still don't want to ever not be an arts worker. I love being an arts worker, but at the moment I make a bit more art than I do arts work, but I think they'll kind of like weave in and out. (laughs) Yeah, you can contain multitudes. Exactly. (laughs) And you describe yourself as a a poet, an artist, an arts worker. Sometimes people might see poetry or art as kind of inaccessible art forms if they're, you know, maybe not in the scene or aren't kind of familiar with it or don't know people in that space. What do you think needs to shift to make the art form seem more accessible? That's exactly how I felt when I was kind of growing up poetry was like this very elite weird thing the domain of dead white european men totally it was very much something that had nothing to do with my life as an adult sort of entering that space for the first time and realizing it's a really really beautiful community it seems solitary but it's really very much a community and i and i love that about poetry but in terms of kind of destabilizing its image I I wonder how it begins, right? The relationship that every part of this continent has to orality, to story, to protest, to poetry is like it's embedded. And I think encouraging an understanding of that, encouraging an understanding that we actually all operate in a space of poetics. We are all trying to communicate ourselves as best we can to one another and we're all trying to do our best (laughs) at bringing the things that we've learnt into our future and trying to navigate that future ethically and with all these complexities of self. That's what poetry is to me. 
it is a very queer, weird, squishy, marginal space. And it's also a very like robust thing that you can kind of like stand on and like fight with. The page can be really intimidating and it's a really not neutral space. Like the way that we access words and written language is so loaded in what language you're able to read and write and use and and speak in and the fluency that you bring to that space and the way that you feel comfortable with words. And I think sort of poetry is this great tool for destabilising those things, but it is often portrayed and it is often understood as elite. And so... Yeah, returning returning to this idea of poetry as play, that's something that I often try to bring up if I'm ever, like, teaching a workshop. Because I really disliked in school the rules. There were so many rules. Oh, for writing? For writing and, like, where you... I still don't know, where like, where you're really meant to put an apostrophe. Like, I can kind of guess, but I really don't know. And I felt like I was always in trouble for that and it meant that writing wasn't fun. Yeah. And now I get to write all the time and it really brings me joy. I really still love and find great pleasure in writing and in writing poetry and I think it's because it is a form of play and that's what I love when other people experience, that you can really express yourself and you can really make imagination happen on the page or in your mouth or in whatever way that you want to express it. Jazz, you had the opportunity to perform at the Opera House for the first time in 2021 at Badu Gili. Did you ever think that that would happen? <laughs> to perform at the Opera House? No, I mean, the Opera House is one of those places that I don't know, exists in the imagination of any young person on this continent in a way that I think is hard to kind of overstate. And I was thinking about that coming here today to come yarn with you guys that like the idea of being familiar to the opera house would have blown my mind as a young person. Like it's and it still does. Yeah. It's like approaching those sales. It still stirs something in me. Totally. And it's so iconic. Yeah. And I've just spent like the better part of the last six months overseas. And the Opera House is a thing that you can say anywhere in the world, really. And it, it conjures an image. I mean, at least in this sort of places I went. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, performing at Badu Gili was really amazing. Uh, two nights just on the precipice of another COVID lockdown. I think it was a really like, we didn't know how precious it was <laughs> until a week later when we couldn't leave the house again. And I, I remember when I was first contacted about doing it, it was to do an hour long performance. And I thought, wow, these guys don't know what an hour of poetry would do to a crowd. That is, that is hard. <laughs> it's a big ask of an audience. Um, and so I was incredibly lucky to perform alongside the beautiful Wiradjuri guitarist and singer-songwriter Zeppelin Hamilton, who is now a dear friend, though that's kind of how we met. I, I had this great opportunity to perform at the Opera House and didn't want to do it alone. And um, we'd sort of been in peripheral circles for a while and I, I was just able to call him up and be like, do you want to just, I don't know, jam alongside me? And it was it was so incredible and so beautiful and that's been the start of a really like delightful relationship and friendship. So, so many things came out of that performance, um, not least of all fulfilling like some sort of, n not my childhood fantasy because I never would have dreamt of that. But 
but definitely... Of performing at the Opera House? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I had had a big enough imagination to imagine I could perform at the Opera House, it would have been a childhood fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picturing you in the State Forest or down on, was it Red Hill? Yeah. <laughs> just like leaning into your weirdness, as you said, not thinking about the Opera House, thinking about something else. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Um, how do you think that that performance shaped the work that you're making now or have made since? Yeah, so that performance, like I said, really relied on collaboration, which is something that as a filmmaker and as an arts worker are very, very near to the way that I work. And obviously as a person, being a person in community and being a person in a multitude of communities, uh, working with other people is just normal. And so as a writer, it's like this kind of strange thing because writing is kind of by nature, it's solitary. Yeah. And reading is in many ways solitary. But there is this place in between that is so rich for collaboration and that performance at Badu Gili was a sort of great insight into that in in the way that collaboration can be brought to for me to my writing practice and it has informed a lot of things going forward Zeppelin and I have worked together a lot since then and I've worked with other musical people and music in other ways has come into my practice and that all sort of very much began at Badu Gili <laughs> so just remember being backstage and kind of having a freak out in like an <laughs> opera house green room with a grand piano in there ah. and being like, this is, am I a rock dog? I never thought I would be a rock dog. I'm a poet. And, <laughs> and this weird gateway drug. <laughs> Here's my writer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Zeppelin also helped you with your other work in shortwave, right? For people listening who don't know what Shortwave is, it's a series of digital commissions. Can you tell us about All the Homelands, the piece that you had in Shortwave? Yeah, it felt really somehow part of a journey when the opportunity to make another work for the Opera House came up. It was important to me to to do that with Zeppelin again because we'd sort of started this journey together and, and I really loved working with him and it felt like another step in this <laughs> in this kind of dance. And that work was, I am trying to remember, it, it sits in that haze of COVID times where oh, yeah. like I think I was contacted to make it in a lockdown and we thought the lockdown would end, but the lockdown never mm, really never ended. ended. <laughs> <laughs> And so it was a work kind of thinking about place like you like you opened this yarn with. At the time, I was like really stuck in a city and I wanted to not be here. I wanted to connect with homelands and how do we bring homelands with us even when you're in a small apartment in the inner city mm. and kind of thinking about how we are all the legacy of our homelands no matter who we are and we're all the legacy of this deep care and ancestral guidance and just so much abundance, such an abundance of love for any one of us to exist. We have thousands of ancestors that have had to make the decision to love and survive and that's kind of where that work came from, thinking about those kind of great legacies and (laughs) making it in my backyard as scrappily as that was. <laughs> I didn't have a heap of options. 
and I'm I'm very fond of that work. I then got to send it yeah over to Zeppelin. He worked with me and brought such a tenderness to the piece. How did it feel to bring those two areas of your practice of film and poetry together and weaving them in this the tapestry again that we keep coming back to. I just keep seeing this image of the different things that you do for work. What was that like of them merging again? I love when I get to work with those two mediums. I think they're really similar personally. The thing that I really love in film is editing, which is not a super sexy thing to say. Like you don't often hear a filmmaker being like, I love editing. I love sitting behind the computer (laughs) and zooming really close in. (laughs) But I do. I love it. And I think it it is like a, a form of poetry, right? Because you're bringing together a known set of images or a known language and and you put together those images or those words in surprising or similar or complementary or contrasting to bring it back to like VCE or HSE or whatever ways and you create new knowledge mm. by by those pairings and you create a new way of understanding in that third space i could talk about it for ages but um, <laughs> You can bring depth in so many different ways. Oh, that's that's what I think. That's what I hope. We've been talking a lot about collaboration and how poetry can be seen as solitary. Can you talk to me more about, yeah, that experience of collaboration and what it does for you as an artist and your work? I think collaboration creates space for a new way of working that wasn't possible in isolation or wasn't possible as an individual. I've been really lucky lately to get to collaborate and and work in ways that I really couldn't have anticipated. I um, recently wrote a piece, wrote a poem that then got turned into a musical piece that was sung as the Sydney World Pride Anthem uh, with around 400 queer quarrelers from around the world. I wrote the lyrics and then sent them to a beautiful composer called Joe Twist who arranged and composed my poem into something epic, something so far beyond what I could have ever done. And it and it accesses people in this way that I have never done before because suddenly the words are set to music and they can carry with people in a way that a poem kind of can be an earworm, but you can't hum a poem <laughs> and know what the words are in the same way, you know? So it's, it's this great connector... I it just, it fills me with joy to be able to work like that. And that, that is one way of working in collaboration. I've also been thinking a lot about architectural spaces and that's Ooh. another really different way of working. I, yeah, I've been thinking about the way that poetry and story and narrative can be embedded in architectural ways that is really exciting for me. It's really exciting to be able to think on a scale and think on a term of like longevity and embeddedness that is kind of rare for a poet to kind of <laughs> to be able to think of in that way. But those sorts of collaborations, those conversations that you get to have, to me, when when I get to work with someone else and it it starts with like a really just deep yarn about what, what we're bringing to the space and what we want to where we've come from and where we're going and and often if you want to write a poem about something like that you get these little insights into someone's world that can create the scaffold for i mean some of the my favorite pieces that I've written have started as conversations with friends gosh I wouldn't want to do it alone 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested to know more about the work that you've got coming up. Is there anything that you'd like to share about what's next for jazz? Yeah, I, I feel like a bunch of stuff. I've been working on a feature film, which is hopefully coming towards its final form. <laughs> it's a commission from the National Film and Sound Archive in Canberra, and the work is about archives uh, and very much the problem of archives, the problem of archives from a First Nations perspective as this place where gaze is really controlled mm. and thinking about how we reclaim gaze and how our bodies themselves are the truest archive. It's not a thing that sits on a shelf. It's a thing that we live and breathe. And cinema, sound and film archives are these really strange places that capture the residue of the body that existed, not the body itself. And, and how can we return dignity to, to people whose images were often taken without the right consent and not taken in the right ways and then put in, you know, burn onto discs and put in shelves and sit there as these living things that are not cared for. So that's what the film is about. <laughs> um, yes, totally straightforward. But it's all made of archival footage. So that's one project that I'm really excited to see realised and we've been working on another book called The Fire Inside. It's another poetry collection. It's got some good stuff in it. It's a bit of fire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so nice. I um, love it. <laughs> uh, and also t talking again about Zeppelin and, and that sort of collaboration. So Zeppelin's band Velvet Trip have an album coming out and I've worked with them to, to put a poem in with one of their songs. So that's just like another lovely part of that dance that's that's ongoing. The next step. Yeah. That's a couple of things. There's a bunch of other stuff. I feel like you got heaps on there. <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of pies, right? A few pies, yeah. But that's yum. <laughs> Delicious. I like pies. So <laughs> <laughs> This show is called Up Next and we're always curious about the future of music, arts and culture. And we love to get our guests to let us know who they think are ones to watch. And so I'm keen to hear from you. Who do you think is up next in poetry and art in Australia? I was thinking about this on the way over because obviously you want to come with like a kind of robust answer. But I was also thinking it's this kind of funny premise, right, of talking about up next because so many people are doing so much incredible work in their communities and creating poetry and creating art and creating things that don't get the recognition that perhaps they deserve. Or they don't seek recognition in the way that we have kind of commercialised or, or bring value to it in, in a way that can feel very hierarchical. So I wanted to start with that as a caveat. <laughs> I not, hear you. Not to yuck the yum of the show title <laughs> uh, <laughs> at all, because I do also want to give a shout out to a bunch of people that I think are really incredible. I'm always excited when I see some names, you know, pop up when, yeah. I, I, when they've done something new. I know that uh, Michaela Saunders has a collection coming out this year. Michaela won the David Anayapon Award last year and is about to release their first short story collection, so that's exciting. Sarah Saleh is also releasing their debut poetry collection, which will be great. I think people like Maya Hodge and Dakota Fira and Jasmine McGaggy all those people, when, when they've got new writing up, I want to read it instantly. They're such beautiful poets and 
writers and activists and thinkers. Running Water Community Press in Mampantua are just doing the most incredible work. You know, I think that that desert context is something that it's uh, so powerful and and often sort of sidelined by the way that we kind of prioritise the coastal voice. This mob down in Nam make incredible art and are really based um, around a community practice. And I also wanted to talk about my little brother, Elijah Money, who is an incredible drag performer and performs with people like Stone Motherless Cold and Cerulean and is part of like an incredible First Nations yeah, drag community that I think just are, are great. So, yeah, up next, from my perspective, these are all great folk. <laughs> Definitely some people to um, put on your radar and get excited about. Jazz Money, thank you so much for coming on Up Next. Thank you so much for having me, and I can't wait to see what's up next. The performance is survival. The performance is for an audience who knows no better. The ceremony remains sacred. The rain cloud bursts. Maybe we're all a homeland of survival and divinity. Maybe we've been walking a map laid in the sand a million times over. Migratory birds know air currents they've never flown within. We'll follow a bone memory and return to impossible origins. Carve out the space where quietness waits. This is the monument in absence. The performance is the monument. You're hearing a grab from poet, filmmaker and artist Jazz Money's shortwave digital work, All a Homeland. If you want to check out the full video, head to stream.sydneyoperahouse.com forward slash shortwave. I'm Courtney Avenhauser and this has been Up Next a podcast from the Sydney Opera House. From Audiocraft, the show is produced by Bernadette Fungnam Nguyen, mixed by Glenn Morrow, executive producer is Selena Shannon. From Sydney Opera House, head of digital programming is Stuart Buchanan and digital programming coordinator is Georgia D'Souza. The Up Next theme music is by Milan Ring. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 